Welcome back to our podcast on, um, today we are talking about understanding executive function challenges in individuals, um, with ADHD and autism. So in today's episode, we will dive a bit deeper into the concepts of executive function and how it relates to ADHDs and autistic folk. Yep. Awesome. So, it. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a fun topic. <laughs> so what, what exactly is executive function? Um, executive function is a set of cognitive processes that help us to manage, plan and organize information in a nutshell. Um, these, these skills are essential for, you know, everyday tasks, like all the things that we do. They, um, they help us make decisions. They help us to focus our attention, regulate our emotions. Um, however, um, ADHDers and autistic folk, we, we often struggle with some of this stuff and some of it is like the, the less talked about parts of, uh, autism and ADHD. Uh, today though, we're going to sort of look more towards cognitive flexibility, stress tolerance, and metacognition. And we'll, we'll dip in and out of, um, inner and outer world, uh, domains of, of human development while we talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Caitlin, can you maybe walk us through why executive, um, function is important to acknowledge in the therapeutic space? Yeah. So I think, um, it's really important for us to get a good understanding of why we're addressing executive functioning. Um, issues particularly in a podcast that is neurodivergent affirming. Um, so I think it's really important to acknowledge a lot of the challenges that um, our clients have, our autistic ADHD clients have, because um, you know, often they've experienced a lot of negative labels towards them uh, because of some of these executive functioning challenges. And often uh, a lot of these messages can be really internalized thinking that, you know, they're lazy or they're unmotivated and all, you know, there's a plethora of other labels that people use. Um, and it, um, you know, much like we were talking about, um, you know, in uh, January, uh, it does impact self-esteem and it impacts self-perception. So I think for a lot of the clients that I work with, when they hear, Hey, like this is a struggle, this isn't something that you're choosing to do. This isn't a character flaw. And hey, a lot of other people um, like you have these struggles as well. Um, I think it really helps to shift a lot of um, negative thinking and negative perceptions um, towards themselves. And also, um, if they choose, uh, there's a lot of different strategies uh, that can be used to support them to um, in their executive functioning so that they're feeling less stressed and overwhelmed on a day-to-day -day basis and they feel more empowered in their day and in their life. Um, so, yeah, so I think that those are uh, a lot of the reasons why it's important. Is there anything that you wanted to add, Tina? Well, I, I love your choice of words there around uh, if they choose because you're right. Like we can, we can only put our um, mental energy, our emotional energy and our time into so many different things. And yeah, when you, when you look at all of the different things that you could be looking at, working on, improving and all the rest of it, 
you get to choose. You get to choose what matters to you as a person and what isn't so important. And um, yeah, I love that. If you choose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's very much how I practice as well. Um, it's all about choice. Um, and, you know, if that's something that my clients want to work on, great. If not, I'm sure there's other things that we can work on together. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I love talking about the brain. It's just, you know, my special interest. <laughs> How can you? Yeah, hey. You have one. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's so funny. Sorry, I just thought I um I have this little I don't have it here with me, it's in my office. I have this little brain model that I got from Kmart. Um, and sometimes I use it during psycho ed in my sessions and I'll be like, just wait a minute, I've I've got a brain and then I come back. And I'm like, well, I have a brain, but I also have this brain. <laughs> yeah, my model brain. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the um the prefrontal cortex of the brain is what is chiefly responsible for these executive functions. Um, this area is located right at the very front of the brain and it acts kind of like a conductor where over like it oversees the and guiding of many of the cognitive processes that enable us to function effectively in our daily lives, um, you know, like the way we want to. Uh, and it, it's crucial for high-level tasks such as, you know, managing time, uh, paying attention, switching focus, planning, organizing, and like remembering details, you know, like working memory uh, and controlling impulses. Um, you know, that, that's a really important one for us ADHDers. So this conductor uh, may not perform as effectively sometimes, which is when it, it leads to having challenges with uh, executive function. And, you know, how challenging that is can vary from person to person. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, um, you know, autistic folks and ADHDs have executive functioning challenges. There's been research conducted that's shown that there's actually differences in brain structure um, for autistic folks, like specifically in the regions um, that um, deal with executive functioning, such as the prefrontal cortex. So structural differences and also connectivity differences between that part of the brain and other parts of the brain. Is it similar for ADHDs? Yes, it is. And I, I, I find this research really, really interesting because um, at the moment we don't have any sort of, you know, like testings or things like that that kind of show um, show these differences. But there there is a lot of research into uh, like brain imagery where uh, there there is some evidence emerging that our brains do um, have that different structure, which I think is kind of cool. You know, I like it. It's like, I think of it like, like architecture, you know, I think I really like the Victorian era and um, sort of the like medieval architecture. And I just imagine that, yeah, my, my brain is just structured differently. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a um, medieval or is it Victorian era or both? Um, oh, I don't know. Maybe both. But yeah. But really stuff. Free? Really old stuff. Really old stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't thought too much about what kind of um, aesthetic my brain would be, but 
I guess another thing to mention as well, that someone who's an autistic ADHD, again, would probably have, uh, you know, a, a different kind of brain as well. And within people, there's brain differences as well. So, yeah, so it's really, it's really interesting to look at, um, I guess, the science behind these things. Yeah, I, I think it's important to, yeah, to recognise that there is research being done here and it's, it's really cool and interesting. Yeah. Mm. So if we think about um, cognitive flexibility, like one of the, um, one of those executive functions that we were talking about, um, so this refers to the ability to switch between tasks or thoughts, you know, easily and without too much um, stress. Um, individuals like ADHDers and autistic folk, uh, sometimes we have difficulty uh, switching our attention from one task to another which can either cause difficulty in getting tasks, projects, whatever, uh, completed, but it can also cause dysregulation. I mean, I know me personally, I, this is something I really, really struggle with, uh, even to the down to don't ask me, what are we having for dinner? And then ask me, where's my school uniform? Like that's... (laughs) That's, they're, they're worlds apart and I need transition time to switch my brain. Um, and in a, in a more sort of serious sense, if I'm trying to work on something and I'm having to, you know, those constant interruptions that can start to become really dysregulating, causing feelings of agitation and, you know, frustration, which it's not nice. It takes a bit to come down from that. Yeah. And I think that just um, makes me think of, I guess the importance of recognizing that in the therapeutic context, because I, I'm an ADHD, so when I first started my practice, um, you know, sometimes I can talk quick and I'll kind of have those double-barreled questions. And some of my clients are like, "Hey, Caitlin, like it's a bit overwhelming when you're like asking me all these questions, or you know, can you please explain that a bit, you know, a bit slower for me, so my brain can kind of wrap around that." Um, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, I'm so sorry." So I try to be really conscious of that now that. Um, you know, of, of myself and how I am communicating and conveying information and making sure that, um, you know, it's being, being conveyed in a way that the other person is able to process it. Yeah. And if, if, um, I think about the, the way our schools are set up more specifically high school, you know, for our, uh, young, um, ADHDs and autistic folk who are in high school, then you go from one class, you're there for, you know, 50 minutes, 90 minutes, whatever it is. And then you go to another class and thinking about that cognitive flexibility when there's not much time in between going from, you know, like math to art class, for example, that can be so stressful having to sort of disengage from this topic and then re-engage in a new subject matter. Um, and yeah, like that, that can cause a lot of, a lot of stress. And if you're an autistic person, when you're going in between the classes, you have to deal with all the sensory overwhelm of like kids, like walking and talking and yelling and carrying on. So that's awesome. So you don't even get a break to regulate yourself before you go to the classroom, the next classroom. Yeah. And then like worse luck, every single class you go to, there's someone saying, you know, like. So how is everybody? How did you enjoy your school holidays? And it's just like, well, I can't answer this question again. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of um, sensory processing, so um, 
particularly for autistic folks, uh, sensory processing differences can really impact on executive functioning um, because it results in um, issues with cognitive overload. So, um, you know, when, like, you know, if you're in a shopping center and you're in the aisle and you're trying to decide what you want for dinner um, and your brain is getting distracted by the bright lights and the noises and the smells and all this sort of thing, um, it can be really difficult to focus and to um, rely on your executive functioning to make those choices and decisions when your brain's being distracted by all of this sensory um, information. Um, and also it can impact on behavioral regulation as well. So, you know, the more um, sensory information that your your brain and your body's trying to process, you're trying to make a decision and then you're getting more and more dysregulated and then, you know, you might have a meltdown in the middle of the shops because you're just like, I can't cope with this environment. I can't make a decision. This is really frustrating, but I can't get out of this situation because I need to make a decision because I need to eat. So it's just like this horrible, horrible situation. Um, but yeah, like obviously there's things that we can do in those instances. We can put in some of those accommodations, um, you know, for our sensory stuff. But I guess that, yeah, that's an example of, I guess, something that I've experienced. Yeah. And well, you can't start to make accommodations until you understand what's going on and how it all connects. Um, and if executive function uh, and the different components of that are left out of the conversation, then you're really missing an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So in the example you gave there, uh, it sounded really stressful, which is a great segue onto the next part, which is about stress tolerance. Oh, <laughs> Well done. So stress tolerance, the, you know, this is referring to the ability to manage and cope with stresses effectively. And, um, you know, quite often we, we can, um, experience heightened levels of stress due to our executive function challenges. Um, like, especially things like managing time and tasks, um, you know, having to be organized and, and then, you know, like you referenced before those self-esteem, um, all of, when all of these components are at play, uh, yeah, stress can get really, really high quite quickly. And, you know, when we're living with, um, constantly high levels of, of cortisol, where we're always in this, you know, varying levels of survival mode, just trying to get through. Uh, you know, we, we know some of the, the health implications for living with chronic stress. It's, um, it's not great. Something that's really important to think about in terms of, um, stress and its impact on, um, executive functioning is some of the social factors. So, um, there's been research that's shown that stigma and lack of understanding, um, can significantly affect, um, mental health and wellbeing leading to anxiety and stress which impacts on um, cognitive flexibility, um, such as what we're talking about before. So it's really important to think about um, a lot of these challenges, like they are, you know, there's those brain differences, but also there's um, environmental factors that can impact on people's experience of executive functioning challenges. And, you know, having people around us that are understanding and supportive of that can help us to have healthier self-esteem and um, better mental health so that we can, um, you know, enjoy our, the executive functioning that we have, um, instead of it being used up, um, with, you know, all these other things. 
Yeah. And, you know, um, you were saying about how the, how stress impacts like cognitive flexibility and, and things like that. And when, when we're stressed, we can't think clearly. Uh, um, we, we struggle with like self-control, impulsivity, uh, emotional impulsivity even. And so what's happening is our, like, even with just mild stress, our prefrontal cortex is being flooded with, um, like different brain chemicals which can send our brain offline, um, you know, and it, it also disrupts the communication between the different brain areas. So yeah, like we're putting all of our mental energy into essentially just trying to, to be okay, uh, and get through the shopping center or deciding what we're having for dinner. Um, and yeah, like it's just, it can be really intense, I think, and we we do tend to minimise it a lot. I think um, just as people, the the different things that cause the the really high stress, and when we can break it down to components of executive function, where it's like, okay, so my like me personally, my working memory is like horrendous, and learning that, yeah, yeah. Like trying to remember a phone number is, is really bad. There's too many numbers there. So learning that my working memory is, is not very good at all. I can take the pressure off myself being expected to remember a string of numbers or, uh, you know, even a few instructions. So just write it down, just ask for it to be written down. Stop trying to remember stuff that you can't remember. Uh, and brings the stress levels right back down, um, quite quickly. Yeah. And I really, um, yeah, those two things are actually, that's something that I do when I'm, um, talking with my clients, if I have like a few different thoughts about, um, what they're talking about, I'll be like, okay, I have three thoughts about that. So that I remember yep. those three things so I can go back. But also, um, like, I think it's really important to model those sorts of things in session and be like, oh, Hey, I've just got to go grab a notepad. Um, so that I can write that down so I don't forget. And hey, like I'll send you an email later um, with it all. So, you know, you can reference back to it later. Um, yeah. But I think something that was also really important to acknowledge is that, um, you know, when you were talking about how um, a lot of executive functioning goes into um, trying to emotionally regulate and to cope with that stress response. And I think that's, that's a big part of what isn't acknowledged. Um, you know, like I have a lot of clients who they come to me and they say, um, you know, I go, look, I think you're experiencing burnout. And they're like, well, I'm just sitting there on the couch scrolling on TikTok. Like I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but you're burning through like a ton of mental energy and having that, that stress in your body. It, you know, it, it, the, um, our, our body has to take energy to be able to process that. Like, it's not just this magic thing that happens. Um, and often we're in our minds stressing about all these, you know, different things. So, um, I think, you know, from the outside looking in, someone can go, oh, well, you're sitting on the couch doing nothing, but inside someone's really struggling and that stress, um, and those like, you know, the ruminating thoughts or, um, those worries about the future or what do is chewing up their executive functioning. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, I like though, I like the you know, those Facebook, Instagram memes that sort of, um, 
remind us that you can't ever really know what's going on for someone on the inside. They might present all fine and dandy, which is something that a lot of um, ADHDers and autistic folk get very good at, uh, you know, presenting as all all great, everything's happy and, and well. Um, but yeah, stresses that seem really insignificant, like why can't my brain retain, you know, a two-part instruction or, you know, three points, whatever. Um, yeah, like it, it's frustrating. It's so frustrating. Um, you know, from a, for ADHD is the, the whole, I guess, joke of, um, you know, uh, misplacing things. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's fun and it, it you know, it, it can sort of produce a laugh, but for the, for the person, for the ADHD, who is the one that is constantly misplacing things and losing things, it is so frustrating and stressful, you know, um, yeah, being given a gift and thinking, oh my goodness, I'm really scared that I'm going to lose this. That's, that's a stress. Yeah. I even remember like, um, when was it? It's probably like in year five or something like that. And we had to learn our times tables off by heart. Still haven't done that by the way. Also, it doesn't really matter because luckily I don't really have to do times tables within my job and, you know, calculators. Uh, there was also, I don't know, I think there was like this autistic part of me that was like, there's calculators. So like, why, like, why do we have to learn it off by heart? Like we can just use a calculator. Um, but, um, you know, like just like, I remember being in school and stuff and there was this expectation that I could learn and recite my times table. And like back then I didn't know I had ADHD, but I just knew I was like, I can't do this. Like, I just can't, like my brain can't retain this and like I still to this day like my working memory um I really struggle with and I can't do maths in my head like I just can't um you know I can do lots of other things but that's just something I can't um I really can't do um but the thing is is that you know you internalize that because there's this expectation that you should be able to do that so if you can't do that then you must be stupid um or dumb and it's kind of like well yeah I, I can't do that and that's okay but there's a lot of really other cool, like there's a lot of cool stuff that I can do that a lot of people can't do as well. So, you know, not everyone's going to be good at everything and that's okay. And I find accepting some of those challenges and either letting go of it, sometimes just letting go of those expectations and being like, well, I don't care that I can't do massive head. Um, and then putting in those accommodations and those strategies um, so that I can, you know, function in my day-to-day -day life. I, I completely agree. And you're right. What's the need to remember math equations when we have our calculators in our mobile phones now? Well, exactly. These, like now it's in our phones. We don't even need like a whole separate calculator. Yeah. What? <laughs> Thank you, technology. <laughs> so um, something that I think um, is really important to think about when it comes to executive functioning challenges is, um, you know, the culture that people live in. So uh, depending on the kind of culture that you live on, live in, there may be uh, more or less of a burden on your executive functioning. And there may be more or less acceptance around accommodations or those executive functioning challenges. So, you know, if you're working in a, a, a capitalist society, 
um, you know, there can often be a big focus on productivity and um, it's just go, go, go. And, you know, you're meant to work and have kids and, you know, yeah. um, have a great gym board and, you know, tick all the boxes and everything. Like, you know, you have to do it all. And um, so I think, you know, particularly in the, in the work context, um, a lot of um, autistic folks with ADHDs that have executive functioning challenges, um, it can be really hard because um, it's go, go, go at work. And then they've used up all their executive functioning spoons um, for the day and then they get home and then there's nothing left um, mm. for themselves and, for, and their family. Um, so it's really important to take, I guess, a look at your workplace or the society that you're living in and, and having a look and going, oh, does is this actually a really good fit for me? I guess it's important to consider whether it's that you have significant executive functioning challenges or that the expectations put upon your executive functioning uh, is the issue. So like a baseline, an autistic ADHD is probably going to have executive functioning challenges, but there's going to be certain cultures and environments that are going to be supportive of that or, you know, not be as taxing. Um, and unfortunately in those kind of capitalist society structures, um, there are massive, um, executive functioning demands. Yeah, that is, that is very, very true. Um, yeah, like there's, there is so much because it's such a busy, busy lifestyle, busy society. Uh, even just asking for a really simple accommodation, like, uh, can you just give me a minute? I'm just going to write this down so I don't forget, you know, like that, that can sometimes be perceived as real, really burdensome. It's like, oh, I don't have time for you to, uh, take notes on what I'm asking you to do. It's like, well, okay, it's not going to get done then. <laughs> That's on you. Like I remember, like when, like I have my own business now, so I can like put in so many strategies and, and accommodations for myself. Um, it's awesome. But you know, when I used to work for others and, you know, you have all these demands, like you have to do, see a certain amount of clients and do a certain amount of reports and KPIs and da, 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 da. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like I'm trying so hard, but it, it's just a lot. And, you know, I'd be driving home with a migraine because my brain was just like fried. Um, yeah. All of the executive functioning demands. I mean, there was a lot of stuff too, but yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Open plan offices. Oof. The, the interruptions, cognitive flexibility, OMG, what a nightmare. Yeah, an absolute nightmare. Oh, yeah. Oh, food. oh so oh, hot desking. Oh. oh, yeah, hot desking. That is an absolute nightmare. I need my desk. I need it set up in a particular way. And mm -hmm. pass my stuff. <laughs> yep, I need my chair set up in a particular way. I need the air conditioning directed on me in a certain way. Certain yeah. the yeah, temperature. <laughs> oh, if we um if we move on to um metacognition or the ability to reflect on and and evaluate our own thoughts, uh, and how this actually plays a vital role in executive function, so um we often have difficulty um assessing our our strengths and challenges accurately. Uh, which can then impact our ability to self-regulate uh, and other things. Um, yeah, it's especially around, like for me, time perception. Uh, I I have a list 
um, that is called How Long? And I literally write things down on this list, everyday tasks. How long does it take me to do these tasks? Because when I'm really, really stressed, uh, I, I just, I just cannot work that out or, um, be reasonable with my time allocations. And when I have put too many things on my to-do list and not allocated enough time or, you know, whatever, like I haven't given myself enough time to get to an appointment that really, really impacts my ability to, to self-regulate. Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult. And that's an awesome strategy. Like something that I recommend for my clients is that if they're struggling with, um, time perception too, um, you know, maybe for a week or two actually record how long things are taking them. Cause then it helps to kind of recalibrate, um, you know, their time perception of particular tasks. Um, and even for myself, I, um, you know, I used to have a to-do list, but now I actually put tasks in my calendar and, you know, I'll, I'll record how long it's taking and things like that. And that's been really helpful. Yeah, that's a really good strategy. I like that. I might steal that. <laughs> um, so something I wanted to touch on, um, I found some really interesting research. So um, Willard et al.'s um, 2021 study found perceived difficulties in social anxiety and executive functioning may have a direct impact on the self-perceived social and work functioning of autistic folks. Interestingly, performance-based measures of executive function did not show a significant relationship with social or work functioning. I thought that was really interesting because it just goes to show that the way that we feel about our executive functioning challenges can actually impact on our executive functioning performance as opposed to actual um, measures of executive functioning. Um, and I think it's also really important to consider that a lot of the research in the past has been around um, objective measures of autistic folks and ADHD as experiences. And it's only um, in the last few years that there's been a lot more qualitative research where there's been that subjective experience captured. Um, so it's really important that when um, working with an autistic or ADHD, we're not just kind of doing these standardized tests that we're also um, looking to be curious to understand um, their perceptions of themselves and their experiences. Um, and we don't want to just kind of put people in pigeonholes. We want to understand their unique experience um, and not just kind of go, oh, well, you're an autistic person. So this is what's happening for you or you're an ADHD. So this is what's happening. Um, we really need to listen to the people that we're working with. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point and a really interesting article because, yeah, um, what we think of ourselves is sometimes more important than what's the actual um, challenges that we do have. Thank you to everyone for joining us for um, our fifth episode. Um, in case you haven't noticed, we've probably started to get weirder and weirder and I, <laughs> I assume as we do more episodes, we'll get more comfortable and get a bit weirder, um, but that's fine. Um, we, you know, I guess we want to just be our true authentic selves and hopefully along the way, um, you know, we'll find our people and the people that resonate with us and our story, um, and you know, our work. Uh, so we really appreciate the time that you take to listen, um, to our podcasts and, um, hopefully you'll, you'll continue to listen to us. Um, if you haven't listened to our previous, um, uh, podcasts, I'd really recommend it. Um, especially our, um, 
episode zero podcast because it gives a lot of context um, to a lot of um, what we talk about in these episodes.